Thanks for tuning into Reach Radio, a podcast for public health professionals looking to expand their network, be inspired, and discover resources and tools that help improve the experience of public health professionals and patients in their communities. I'm your host, Fran. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be able to introduce you today to Usha Seva, who is the founder and CEO of Brave New Mind. Usha has an amazing background in the field of mindfulness. She and her team are leading a global mindfulness education program that really helps organizations to improve their productivity and to create for more compassion in the world. Today, we're going to learn a little bit about how she does it. You know, mindfulness is at a phenomenal approach to walking and being in the world. And there are some unique techniques that can be utilized to help folks to go along that path. Today, we're looking forward to learning more about it. And I'm suspecting that Usha has a lot of really good information on this for us. Usha, welcome to the show. Hi, friend. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you here with us. Tell us a little bit about your organization. Friend, Brave New Mind, I am the CEO and founder of Brave New Mind. We provide mindful leadership training and development programs in person and through online learning for our clients. As we like to say, we're changing the world one mind at a time for the better. And I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at our website at bravenewmind.org, but we do have clients from around the world and we've consistently received great student feedback. Now, before I do get into explaining a little bit more about my company, I did want to thank the public health community for everything that you've been doing during the pandemic, what you will be doing after the pandemic. It is truly a remarkable act of bravery and kindness. So from Brave New Mind, my organization, to all the public health workers out there, thank you very much for everything that you do every day. So just to talk a little bit more about the organization, in terms of what Brave New Mind offers the public health community, really we offer three core services. We offer one-on-one, in-person, and online mindfulness education. And we mainly have three formats for that. So we do have those three formats. And within those three formats, individuals and organizations can pick from workshops that are anywhere from an hour long to, you know, eight weeks on a, on a weekly basis. So we do have a wide range of programs and opportunities to tailor to meet the needs of the organizations that reach out to us. This is so cool. I just love the notion of the work that you're doing. And, you know, for some people, quite honestly, I mean, mindfulness and the notion of mindfulness training, while, you know, it's sort of become trendy, it's still for a lot of people, they're apprehensive, they get nervous. They're like, oh, I don't know if I can be mindful. Like, how has it been educating communities and broadly sort of your international, right? A global organization. How has that been in terms of educating folks about the value that mindfulness brings to everything we do? So what's interesting is that, I mean, I have to say that one of the easiest clientels that we've dealt with to convince on the benefits of mindfulness has come from the health and healthcare community. Mindfulness as a clinical intervention has been supported by thousands of scholarly articles And, you know, thousands of years of case studies that we've been drawing from to support that scholarly work in the last 50 years. And interestingly, I mean, mindfulness is not a new concept. It is an ancient wisdom, but it did require a lot of distilling and exploring to really communicate its modern day utility. So you really, you know, you nailed it on the head when you said a lot of my work is in convincing and helping people understand what the true utility and benefit of employing mindfulness is. Now, I would say that there is a lot of a lot of the times we do face questions, you know, what is mindfulness versus meditation? Is this a religious practice? And really, the answer to that question is that 
Mindfulness can be a religious practice. Meditation can be a religious practice and is found in a lot of world religions. But what Brave New Mind does, we actually focus on mindfulness as a clinical intervention coming from a very secular standpoint and using mindfulness as a mental health intervention, really. So for us, we don't really look at the religious side of things. There's a couple of courses where we talk about the history of mindfulness, where that comes up, but, you know, making people understand what the true benefit of it is and how easy it is to employ mindfulness in your day-to-day life is, you know, a huge chunk of our work. That's really amazing. And how do you, in terms of leveraging the work that you're doing, introducing it to organizations, how do you go about that process? Usually organizations seek us out because, I mean, maybe I mentioned that a little bit earlier, but mindfulness has become more of a household term in the recent years. And there are more and more companies in this space that are offering similar services. And we're finding a lot of organizations are proactively looking for ways to improve their employee mental health. So we've had recently more organizations reaching out to us and inquiring about our our services. Now we do about twice yearly, we look for specific organizations to partner with. We are a smaller organization at the moment, even though we do have a global footprint. So we have to be really careful about how much work we take on because we want to be able to spend that quality time with every client that comes on board, whether that be an individual or a 10,000 employee organization. That makes total sense. And I've noticed that you have sort of both these group and individual as well as e-learning platforms. Can you tell us a little bit about the dynamics of these three variants? Well, we find that the individual learning, we usually have executives and other professionals reach out to us about individual learning, especially if they're, you know, really good sort of self-directed learners and are looking for something to add to their own personal professional development. So the individual one-on-one learning is really nice, especially if you've had any sort of apprehension in the past and being in a group setting and learning in a class environment, it's not for everyone. I mean, we really bring a focus to differentiated learning, which is why we offered the three different formats. In our group classes, it's often very dynamic, engaging classes where there's, you know, there's, it's very important to maintain sort of a sensitive and psychologically safe environment for those students. But we do have a real strong curriculum to back up the content of those classes as well. So it's, it's a very controlled sort of classroom settings, usually about 15 to 25 people in each class. And then a really popular offering is the e-learning. E-learning has been really good for us as an offering for organizations because we've been able to customize some of that training for specific needs. So if your organization is, for example, working on conflict resolution, we would actually see what kind of mindfulness practices, interventions, and suggestions that we can make to promote effective conflict resolution. And we provide the employer with those tools through the e-learning, but then they're able to take that e-learning and actually deploy it in a flexible way for their organization. So if it's really hard for your organization to get all individuals sort of in the same room learning at the same time, E-learning offers a flexible format for you to integrate into your existing training and development plans. That's really fascinating. And when you look at the future, what do you anticipate as being some of the things that your organization will be incorporating or using to expand your offerings? I think one of the things that we're exploring right now is really around strengthening partnerships and looking at new technology platforms. So we do have a website. It's quite basic. We tend to do a lot of work sort of after that initial interaction with the client. So a lot of our our tools are sort of offline that we use, especially when you think about learning management systems. Something that we're looking at is, you know, how do we translate some of our workshops into an app 
that can be downloaded by employees. So it can complement some of the work that we're doing in class and online. That way they can sort of continue their learning outside of those classroom and e-learning sessions and be able to have a resource on hand. So we are exploring app development at the moment. Very cool. Who are some of the stakeholders that you guys are interacting with and are hoping to form collaborations with? Well, I'm a huge fan of Google's Search Inside Yourself program. And there are quite a few other mindfulness organizations uh, locally here in Toronto that we're looking to build some partnerships with. But mainly for me, when I, when I say sort of stakeholders and partnership is around where can we add the most value for them? So I'm always looking for win-win scenarios where we can partner in a way that our program offerings can add some value to them or maybe our facility facilitators and systems can add some value to them in the background. And in terms of Google as a stakeholder, we are looking at seeing if we can get our facilitators through their teacher training program to add to that sort of you know roster of credibility that we have behind our facilitators already. Wow, that sounds absolutely phenomenal. If you were to leave some words of wisdom to the listeners here today, what would be some of the the key messages that you would like to offer? Some of the key messages that I would say, and really is that mindfulness can become really big. If you're looking out there on the internet or listening to a podcast or reading books and trying to understand mindfulness, there's a lot of information out there. But what I always love sort of mentioning to students is that mindfulness does not have to be a complex practice. It could be a simple five-minute exercise. It could be a five-minute body scan. It can be five minutes of deep breathing using your Apple Watch. To not underestimate the cumulative impact of having a mindfulness practice embedded in your day-to-day one example I really use is, you know, I find those moments in between chaos, actually. So there's no real special setting or a yoga mat or a serene environment that I'm seeking out. I'm actually just saying, okay, I'm running between two meetings and I have 10 minutes. I can either mindlessly scroll through, you know, disjointed news articles, or I can look out the window and do some conscious deep breathing to regulate my parasympathetic nervous system in a way that makes me sort of feel that I'm in my optimal mind state when I'm entering into my next meeting. So not to underestimate those small moments and or not to also underestimate even just employing one or two practices that work really well for you. So instead of sort of getting into that analysis, paralysis by analysis, looking at such a big topic that's on trend right now as well, is just taking out what really works for you and then incorporating that in your own lived experience. Those are really excellent, excellent points. And I've noticed that when it comes to children, K through 12, that mindfulness is being incorporated into some of the curriculums. Do you have any experience on that that you'd like to share? And what do you see the opportunities being there? Mindfulness in children is one of, I mean, I am so passionate about that because when I started learning about mindfulness, I was actually a 13-year-old suffering from panic attacks. And that was my introduction to mindfulness when my aunt actually took me to my first yoga retreat where I got introduced to this idea of meditation and mindful breathing. So for me, getting mindfulness and mindfulness skills into our children's hands is really, really important because if you start them small, they really do become believers. They get a lot of practice at a time where the imprint is is really high on them. So for for children, for example, two of the activities that we've used previously, either in talking to teachers and giving them suggestions on what they can incorporate in their classrooms, 
We've had, you know, two successful exercises. One is as simple as using a glitter jar. Fran, have you heard of a glitter jar? I haven't heard of that. Tell us more. Super simple. You get a little glass jar with a top on it. You throw some water into it and a bunch of glitter and you shake it all around. And you make that glitter sort of run around and you ask the child to do some deep breathing as the glitter settles. And it's so interesting to see their breathing relax as the glitter settles to the bottom of the jar. And we talk about the glitter inside of the jar as the noise that sort of is present in our heads when we're disconnected from the mind-body experience. And when that glitter settles and that child kind of realizes they're in this deep breathing exercise and you're watching them, it truly is a pleasure because you know, as you know, it's not easy to contain the energy of a child. And obviously mindfulness doesn't necessarily contain it, but it does give the child a lot of useful tools to use to manage that energy and, you know, a lot of benefits to the parents as well. And that doesn't have to be said, but another exercise is we use a Hoberman sphere. I don't know if you know what a Hoberman sphere is, but it is a, it's a toy that was designed. Don't quote me on this probably about 30 years ago but it's a sphere that expands and contracts. And we use the sphere as a visual aid for a child to hold on to. And as they breathe in and out, they actually mimic the breathing in and out on the sphere so that they can feel the sphere expand as they you know, expand their lungs and they can feel it contract, see it contract as they contract their lungs. And using these sort of little tools outside of, you know, just trying to cerebrally or intellectually understand what mindfulness is, children really love having that extra little tool on hand. It really works well with them to be able to incorporate mindfulness exercises. So again, I stumbled upon mindfulness when I was 13 and then went 20 years in depth studying this through world-renowned leaders, educators, yogis, through all my travels across the globe. So for 20 years, I've been studying it. And really that passion was ignited when I was 13. And, and I feel that children, the quicker you can get them Thinking about mindfulness and exploring mindfulness, the, the longer we find it sort of sticks in their toolkit as they grow into adults. That is so brilliant. I think perhaps, however, that what I found most appreciative was the recognition that extra tools aren't needed, right? That you don't, Absolutely. while these, you know, these gadgets and gizmos are fantastic for, you know, appeasing our our senses, right? Our sensory organs that you can go, they're not required. Just like your yoga mat isn't required to do yoga. And you pointed that out early on. So when you think about some of the work that you're doing globally, does that extend into perhaps communities where they may be resource constrained or have limitations in terms of accessibility to resources? And what are some techniques or approaches that you take when, when going into such kinds of environments? 100% Fran, we do work with a lot of organizations and individuals that are, you know, constrained when it comes to budgets, either because they don't have a budget or they have competing priorities on that budget. Uh, Brave New Mind has offered quite a bit of pro bono work in the community. So we really believe in giving back to the communities in which we operate. So we consciously look for delivering 10% of our programs pro bono to community organizations and individuals that actually identify themselves as having resource limitations. And in those cases, we do our best to either connect with sponsors who will be willing, if it, if it is sort of a resource heavy program, let's say, you know, or we're approaching a community community organization with 500 people that could potentially attend the program. We try to get sponsorships for materials if possible, or we cover the cost as a company. But like you said, I think the key thing is that mindfulness is one of those things you don't need anything to actually begin a practice. So we have a lot of success 
in offering sort of 10% of our programs pro bono to community organizations and individuals. And we hope that, you know, that translates into a, into a better world for everyone, because we don't think that resources should limit somebody's ability to, to learn about mindfulness and big advocates for that. It's really fantastic. Now you've mentioned a couple of resources, Usha, but I'm sure there are many more that come to mind. And we like often to allow our guests the opportunity to share perhaps a resource or two that perhaps others have, you know, not known much about, or that they perhaps have, you know, have gone underappreciated. Could you share with us a couple of resources that you'd advise our listeners to check out? Absolutely. I mean, I have, I don't know, about four or five bookshelves full of books on this topic, and I'm a big reader. So for me, a lot of my inspiration comes from my own reading and self-directed study. So I'll list off a couple of the books that were pivotal in sort of when I was designing Brave New Mind back in 2017. One of the books that really inspired me was a book called Finding the Space to Lead by Janice Maritano. And Janice Maritano actually sort of, I wouldn't say pioneered, but she's really a big name and really popularized mindful leadership and runs the Mindful Leadership Institute in the States. So she was a big inspiration. I also have read books by John Kabat-Zinn, who I think has done tremendous work to add credibility to the clinical application of mindfulness, really spearheading mindfulness-based stress reduction programs, even here at UHN in Toronto, Ontario, United University Health Network here. So John Kabat-Zinn's book, or, yeah, it's my go-to recommendation for people who really want to sort of understand mindfulness as a clinical practice. And then you look at a few other people who have a little bit of a religious undertone, I would say more so rooted in Buddhism. However, there's, you know, there's a lot of correlation between what John Kabat-Zinn teaches and what Janice Martano teaches, crosses over into people like Tara Brock and Pema Chodron and Jack Cornfield. And these are really, really big names But I do have some local heroes as well, and their work can be found online. For example, Michelle Chabon, who was the founder of the University of Toronto's Applied Mindfulness Education Program. We actually became, we had a little bit of a friendship even after the program, and I got to pick her brain a little bit on how she was able to establish her organization and credibility for her organization in teaching mindfulness. So all of those individuals, any books written by them, um, I would recommend. But if you're specifically interested in mindful leadership and how it might apply to your organization, which is what Brave New Mind primarily focuses on, even though we do have sort of basic mindfulness programs and mindfulness introductions in our in our uh, organization, I would suggest reading that book by Janice Maritano called Finding the Space to Lead. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? The best way to get a hold of me is going to the Brave New Mind website at bravenewmind.org. You can use the contact us form on that page and it does uh, I do receive a copy of all of those forms. You can also visit my own personal blog which is ushasiva.com. I tend to write across a lot of different topics. I do consider myself a bit of a generalist, even though I have these specific passions as well. So you'll find a a little bit about some of the other ventures that I run and some of the other work that I do in the community. So bravenewmind.org, if you're looking for the mindfulness programs that I've been talking about, or just even free resources that we post on our blog during these challenging times. And if you're looking to connect with me personally, definitely ushasiva.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn if you type Ushasiva Toronto, because there are other Ushasivas out there. This is amazing. And of course, I mean, come on now, you mentioned it, right? You brought it up there at, at the tail end. And so many of us do wear 
multiple hats. I'm curious, so curious, and I'm sure our listeners are too, what some of those other hats are for you. So tell us a little bit about those other programs that you have going on. So Fran, I always say that if you find something you love to do, most likely you'll do it all the time. You know, work-life balance is a little bit difficult, although I do highly believe in wellness. So doing what I love does allow me to keep well in the process, even though I do wear many hats, like you say. So I am the founder and CEO of Brave New Mind. I do have a startup in the wings at the moment called Tech Support Girls. And if you're wondering where my technology background comes from, I actually work for a municipality for a library system as the manager of IT special projects and evaluation on a full-time basis. But I am able to manage both of these businesses, one sort of already solidified Brave New Mind because of the wonderful team that I work with and the fact that, you know, working globally has its benefits because you are working in different time zones. So Tech Support Girls is something that we're focusing on, especially through the pandemic. There's been a huge need for one-on-one tech support and also looking at the area of opportunity with women in technology being underrepresented. That's something that is going to be an undertaking in 2021 and 2022. But, you know, there's more to come on that. So Tech Support Girls really doesn't have a web presence at the moment. We are very much in the startup incubation phase. But Brave New Mind and my job working for the municipality and special projects and evaluation in IT is sort of what I do during my day. Interesting fact, I'm also a Canadian Coast Guard Auxiliary member, so I do serve the same area of the municipality that I work for as a Coast Guard. That is so awesome. You are a very busy woman and doing so much amazing work in the community. Thank you for everything that you do, and thank you for being on our show today. Thank you so much, Fran. I thoroughly enjoyed this opportunity, and I look forward to continuing to listen to your podcast. Thanks for tuning into Reach Radio. This program is made possible by listeners like you. To learn more about Reach and to support this program, visit www.reachtl.org.